fading out of the intro music can only mean one thing, and that is that uh, it's time for another episode of Both Laugh, the Dying Scene Quarantine Chat Show. This is uh, episode 39, if my math is correct. Uh, and honestly, it feels like we tricked this uh, particular show's guest into being here or won sort of a contest or something. Uh, his band has a new EP called Grim Value that's coming out next month. He's also become somewhat of an unlikely uh, Twitter slash social commenter uh, star. Ladies and gentlemen, Eve Six's Max Collins. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Jay. I, I appreciate it. And and uh, yeah, I'm, I sort of feel the same way. I feel like I've, I'm I'm pulling a con or something like that. So uh, I I will say that that's that's the thing that I uh, greatly appreciate about you, both in the the Chevy Mustang persona that you have, and in in the Twitter thing, which I think is what most people uh, know you from more recently, is that you don't take yourself too seriously. And I love that because the scene, whether it's the punk scene, which is what I'm sort of mostly involved with, or the sort of 90s music scene, whatever, there are a lot of people who take themselves way more seriously than they probably should. And I I genuinely appreciate that you uh, take your, take the piss out of yourself as much as anybody. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I think... Uh... Yeah, it's kind of just my natural state or something, and not just me. I mean, my bands in general. Um, but uh, it also has kind of a utility because it does, uh, I feel like, um, allow or has allowed me to kind of touch some topics that maybe are serious. Uh, but because I have this background of knowing how absurd that is <clears throat> um it, it kind of gives me license so it's this weird thing uh, that i haven't completely figured out yet but uh but yeah i don't uh take myself very seriously and i i i i think have a yeah i think that probably is sort of unique maybe <laughs> among band guys um, at, at least, least amongst as far front as their... men. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. Good point. Good point. But was that always the case? I mean, even coming up, because you guys started young uh, and and sort of became relatively famous, relatively young. Um, was that always the case in the sort of idea of not taking yourself too seriously like that? Or or is that a change as you got older? Um, I think, I think, uh, I mean, I guess we've always been sort of innately uh, kind of goofballs, I guess. However, it's funny because I do think when like the first Eve Six record came out and people realized that we were teenagers um, and kind of accused us of being in the music, at least being kind of self-serious and... Uh, um, I think, <laughs> I think lyrically what was happening was, um, you know, yeah, we were, we were listening and influenced by, um, you know, ba bands that like the, the, whatever wave of emo it was that ended up, um, hitting and kind of crossing over that hadn't happened yet, but the records we were listening to were, 
um, very much in that milieu and uh, as well as punk rock stuff, as well as radio rock stuff. We just weren't telling our friends about that part. <laughs> <clears throat> but um, but yeah, I mean, Jawbreaker, Dear You was the record that I probably listened to the most in high school while writing the songs that would end up being the first Eve Six record. And um, lyrically, I, you know, I, I wasn't trying to do the whole um, like Descendants or, you know, Blink-182 thing uh, in the songs. The songs were very lyrically kind of emo, TBH. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I think, I think the a, a sort of the space that I have uh, between myself or my identity or whatever and the band and the body of work and it's different iterations, you know, like uh, comes from uh, kind of having to cultivate that because if you don't, I think you're kind of after having success that that becomes like, kind of problematic i mean i think you know because with the success comes uh people telling you you're great people telling you you suck you know if you if you if, if you live there um you're, you're gonna be kind of fucked up i think and because our band had you know a very you, you know the the incline up was steep and the 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 descent back down the other side of the mountain was precipitous. Um, like we, we, we've had to develop that, uh, you know, perspective on it, sort of see, see it all, see what's good about it all. What's really funny about it all. Uh, what's kind of tragic about it all and just uh, have it kind of neatly compartmentalized. Do you think that uh, this sort of just popped into my head as you were talking, but I, I can see the definite uh, overlap, especially lyrically um, with, like you said, whatever, whatever wave of emo that was. And honestly, I could be asked to care about what the difference. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just like with Scott, like whatever, uh, yeah. whatever wave it is. But do you think that Eve six sort of got um, miscast or, or swept up maybe in a current that, like for example, because I could see Eve Six being a punk band, and I think if you listen to uh, a lot of the albums, even even the last full length, there are there are probably more sonic um, connections to a band like Alkaline Trio, for example, than to uh, Matchbox Twenty or whatever or whatever. Like sort of you, because you kind of got swept into that rock radio, yeah. but that that also like adult not adult contemporary but whatever that sort of thing was um yeah do you think you sort of got missed cast that way and was that a label thing or a band thing or just like starting too quickly it's a it's a great question i think uh you know we definitely share more influences with a band like alkaline trio than we do with with matchbox 20 or third eye blind or any of the bands that we, we got lumped in with because of the time and place and Sonics of the record, I, I think, but I think also because we were so young, 
when we made those records so green, so inexperienced in the studio, um, all of that, we were, um, I mean, we were doing what we did in the rehearsal space. Um, like, it's not like we went in with a producer and everything changed wildly, but the presentation of it, um, I think may have been, um, may have led to us being like sort of misunderstood or whatever, maybe is also the reason why the record was a hit, who knows, you know? Um, but I do think as time's gone by, we've been, uh, we've been more appropriately or, or, or accurately assessed um, by, by people who have, who have sort of figured it out because we were, you know, we're only a couple years older really than our fan base. Um, and, and, and so they know, I think they could hear the sort of some of those influences, whereas whatever Gen X uh, music re reviewers were writing about the record at the time didn't didn't have a frame of reference for some of those other influences. And that's not to say I'm not saying we came out with this like and made a punk record. We didn't. We did make a radio rock record. It was just, you know, that the combination of influences was stuff like uh jawbreaker a band called the mises which was one of our favorites from san francisco um a whole lot of the lookout record stuff um uh but we were also teenagers listening to the radio so it's like those worlds converged to make this you know eve six sound the way i think we sounded as well as a producer who had no idea what punk rock or emo was <clears throat> uh, making our record yeah yeah I hadn't quite considered it in that context until somewhat recently. Um, but I think in looking back, Eve Six was sort of realistically the biggest band that was my age or the first band that was my age that that sort of made it big. Like the, the punk thing that blew up in the early and mid 90s, you know, those guys... I mean, I guess Blink-182 is sort of at the younger end of that spectrum, but they're still five, six, seven there's, years older Yeah, than they're me, still quite a bit older. Yeah, we're not quite a bit, but, you know, old, older enough, which I didn't even realize. I sort of assumed, I think, when that was all going on, that they were as young as we were. Yeah, it was weird. It, it was a weird time. And then to think back to, well, Christ, when I was 17 or 18, uh, what I was listening to or what I was doing and then uh you guys were writing what became a multi multi-platinum correct did, did the self-titled record officially go multi-platinum back when not, that was a thing no yeah not quite it, it, like to be honest i don't know where it is now when when it counted it, we were at like 1.8 or something like that okay. so we were close to double platinum uh when that was a thing <laughs> Yeah, when it was albums going platinum, right, right? and not uh, not songs. Um, yeah, it, and the, there are there are like a thousand different directions that uh, that I could theoretically steer this uh, conversation into, um, but sort of in keeping with the idea of getting so big so early, 
particularly in your life, not just in the life of the band, but in your own life. And then fast forwarding um, to more recently, I know that it's May being Mental Health Awareness Month, uh, and you're sort of been <laughs> candid about some of that stuff um, that you just celebrated a week or so ago, a pretty uh, milestone sobriety anniversary. I work my, my quote unquote uh, fake email job. I work in the substance abuse treatment um, field awesome. and, have, and have for 20 years. Um, oh, right on. So, so it is, but now it's, everything is on zoom. So it's just weird to sit on my porch and do stuff like that. But, yeah, but, yeah. but uh, first off, congratulations on that because 15 Thank years you. is amazing. And then to realize how old you are and to have 15 years onto your belt is, is uh, amazing. Did that, uh, that time frame of when you were, I think on Twitter, you call it being in your cups or whatever. Uh, <laughs> did, did that start before the band or did that start from being uh, young and on the road or, or like, when did that, that sort of period of your life really take hold? Um, yeah, it, it started later. Uh, John and I were both, um, you know, straight edge for all intents and purposes in high school. <clears throat> um, yeah, we, we didn't, uh, we didn't drink or do drugs at all. Um, all of our friends did. Um, but he and I were both, you know, uh, abstinent and just you know we just the band was our thing um not even in a way where we were like hyper ambitious or anything like that it was just we loved doing it <clears throat> that's what we spent spent our time doing and our energies focused on um and you know i did i did do have uh, alcoholism in my family <clears throat> and was always sort of warned about it so I, I heeded that advice for, for a time. Um, it wasn't until literally the night we finished mixing the first record um, at Electric Ladyland in New York City. And we went, it was Halloween night. And we went out um, after that to a, to a restaurant with the label and producer and stuff. And that was the first night I got drunk. Um, the first night I, I even had like my own, uh, Oh, that's not true. There was one other time where I had like a cider with uh, <laughs> this like uh, street musician guy that I that I become friends with. <clears throat> but that was the first time I like really drank and got very drunk and threw up and all that. And uh, yeah, I I I think after that we spent um months uh, you know touring in a van which whenever i say that and i know it pisses off bands that had to tour for 20 years in one or whatever but uh we did you know so it, it wasn't that wasn't super conducive at the time to us like drinking a lot and stuff and we were also still underage so we we would occasionally get like some beer on a rider but not not normally um, it was when we got the tour bus uh, that that it started to to ramp up, and you know the very predictable succession of of events and you know feelings about relationship to uh, 
alcohol where it, uh, you know, it very quickly became something that, that, that I needed and that I was, I, I could, I, I was relying on something that worked really well on me to, um, to, yeah, crowd out uh, any of the insecurity and, and self-doubt and all of that stuff and just give me this feeling of, uh, this intense feeling of relief allowed me to be the, the person I felt I was supposed to be, all of that, all of that stuff. And, uh, you know, we know how, how that goes. That yeah. just continued and progressed in all the predictable ways right. um, until... Yeah for whatever reason i was one of those people who got sufficiently miserable and and decided that maybe there's another way um and a lot of people don't don't hit that point or whatever and that's for some people i think that's probably okay like i know i do know people who you know drank the way i did who still do um and they're able to kind of manage their lives in a way that that works but uh yeah that, that wasn't something that i was capable of i think that people that are um familiar with the eve six timeline if you rewind the tape 15 years when you when you quit drinking you guys were on what effectively was a hiatus at that point i mean it was sort of like broken up and then not broken up but that sort of coincided with what became the hiatus there for a while right yeah, that's that's right. We uh, the band broke up in two thousand three. Um, I wouldn't get sober till two thousand six, but uh, but but my drinking definitely contributed to uh, you know the band kind of moving off, going off the rails. Definitely contributed to the band uh, you know stopping for the time that it did. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't until 06 that I, uh, you know, yeah. had, had that moment of clarity. Was there, uh, when it came time to actually to start writing again and to start playing again as the band, um, and now that you were doing it sober, was that a sort of different or challenging experience for you? Or did you, um, because you had a little time under your belt when the band sort of got back together and went out or like how difficult was that for you? I guess is the short way of asking that. Yeah. Well, I didn't think it was going to be possible. I mean, I really didn't. And that was something that I would talk to my you know, sponsor about and, and uh, talk to people, people I was working with about is that I didn't really see that that was going to be a realistic option for me when I was like, when I was new, I, I just, I couldn't conceive of <clears throat> not just being on stage, but being out in that world on tour and negotiating the, the feelings that go along with that without alcohol. <clears throat> I really couldn't imagine it. So, uh, I, you know, worked through that fear i guess and very slowly though like so we would we would book uh you know a one-off show and do that and then uh, a month or two later there'd be another one and i 
you know, like incrementally got to the place where I was like, oh, I'm not going to be struck drunk. Uh, this isn't going to literally kill me. Um, I, I do have tools now that I can employ. And, uh, and as long as I do that, I can continue to do, to do this. Was there anybody, uh, was there any sort of a roadmap for you for, for lack of a better word? Was there anybody that, uh, whether they were in the scene or like scene adjacent or whatever that sort of helped you realize that you could do it? I mean, it's one thing to have, obviously to have a sponsor and to have a, a group um, of people that you trust, but not everybody is a touring musician and not everybody understands the, that which goes along with being a touring musician. Um, was there anybody that, that uh, like sort of <clears throat> held your hand through that part of the process or were you kind of flying blind on that part? just knowing that you had enough tools? Um, per personally, like in people in close proximity to me that I was, I was talking to and seeking guidance from at that time were not uh, musicians or touring musicians. However, I did, you know, whenever I heard about or learned of uh, a touring artist who was sober and had been able to put time together, um, honestly, even if they, they did end up relapsing, cause like that's, you know, with, with, with band, people in bands that happens just like, you know, it does with everyone else. Um, I found sort of hope, hope in that. And, you know, so much of, uh, recovery <clears throat> is, uh, you know, it is about that thing where it's like, I mean, people literally tell you all the time, if I can do it, you can do it. Yeah. Right. So seeing examples of that in my, in my world, I, I thought we're definitely, you know, that was help helpful to me, even though I wasn't necessarily going to those people at that, at that time. Uh, I, I did, I was coaxed into going to a couple meetings years prior um, by, by management, by the band's manager and, uh, and the meetings that, and the, and the counselor that they had me see were very specific to like rock guys. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And, but I, I wasn't ready at, at the time. And, uh, but, but there were a couple guys you know, in bands who went out of their way to like, you know, pick me up and take me to meetings and all that stuff. It just, that's not when it happened for me. It happened later. And when I was ready, I, I purposefully uh, sought out, nor you know, normal meetings with normal fucking people. And, you know, not like the whole celebrity thing I did, or, you know, band guy. Meetings. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and, that I just felt more, more comfortable in that, in that environment. Um, have you then become to sort of flip that to the other side of the coin? Have you been, have you then become that guy for younger uh, people or newer in sobriety people who are musicians and have contacted you like, Hey, I know you've been sober eight, 10, 12, 15 years now. Can you sort of walk me through some of this stuff? Yeah, I've had some people reach out to me, uh, you know, in direct messages, some just on the timeline. And uh, 
one just recently saying that they were a musician who would, who would put together just a little bit of time. Um, they were, they were going to meetings and going to therapy and, and wondering if I had any advice. And I just said, keep doing exactly what you're doing. Uh, and, uh, uh, there was someone else who I was talking to actually for a bit on the phone who reached out another musician uh, reached out and, and, and messaged me. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I tell people to do or offer them my experience to, you know, tell, tell them, I don't tell them what to do. I tell them what I did rather <clears throat> which is a pretty specific thing um, that, that worked for me. And it's, yeah, so it's, it's pretty simple. And I appreciate it when people uh, reach out with stuff like that. Uh, thank you for talking about that stuff. I know that it's, it's maybe not uh, the sort of conversations that I have with a lot of people. And we'll certainly talk about new album stuff, but thank you for, for talking about that stuff because I think it's important. And I was just, uh, so the last episode of these that I did, was with the guy who's the founder of an organization called Punk Rock Saves Lives, which is a fairly Whoa. new nonprofit. And then like they launched just before COVID started. But we got to talking about, you know, the the mental health resources or lack thereof uh, for musicians in particular and for people in the scene in particular and how tough it can be to actually reach out and ask for help. And as I posted that just on my own personal Facebook page, somebody who was another band guy reached out and said, yeah, you know, it can be, uh, if you're on, because this is the punk rock community, if you're on a thing like the Warp Tour years ago, there are at least like Kevin Lyman from the Warp Tour and say what you will about Warp Tour, but they did a fair amount with Music Cares and agents and organizations like that and put on meetings, like support group meetings for people who needed them that were on the tour. So it was a, that was a pretty cool thing. But this guy yeah. said, yeah, that's, that can be, it's difficult when, you're not on a thing like warp tour when you're in the van with a bunch of other dudes and you're the sober one. And Oh, I've been there. I've been there and it is fucking really lonely and really hard. You know, there's no, no, no sugarcoating it. When you're the only person in your outfit, uh, who's not, you know, actively drinking and doing whatever. It's, it's no fun. Um, we're really lucky now. Because uh, John, the Eve Six guitar player, has been you know the original guy. Um, he and I started the band in high school, and we're still doing it. And uh, and he's sober as well. And our our drummer now, we have a fairly new drummer mm-hmm. um, who you know is just like a teetotaler, basically, like drinks like a normal person, as they say. <laughs> Imagine and <laughs> it, yeah, and it's so nice. I mean, it's uh, yeah. I really feel for people who are who are in that in that situation, and and I think, um, yeah, it's a it's a personal and individual choice whether someone thinks that they can they can make it through like a tour, a longer run, or whatever in that environment. And there's no medals won for valor or whatever if it if uh, if you don't, if you don't feel like you can, I would uh, say. Yeah. Um, back to the sort of musical part. And I'm always fascinated by, by bands who get big on their first album. And I know that that's a thing, 
Um, but because of your relative age, when you wrote a song like Heart in the Blender that sort of blew up, uh, and as my daughter was pointing out, 21 million views on YouTube. I have a 13 year old, so that's the stuff that's sort of important. Those are the but, stats. You but get. She, yeah, yeah. she knows that like dad's talking to somebody cool tonight because he's got 21 million 21 views million. On, on YouTube. What, first up, and then she was trying to do the math. Like she found a thing where it calculates how many views on YouTube turn into how many dollars. And I said, Oh no, I bet it's not that. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not that. <laughs> but did you realize when you were writing that song that it was like, <clears throat> that it had hit written all over it? Or was that even like in your eyes on the self-titled record and when you were writing it, was that even the best song? I think it was the best song. Like I, uh, or at least there was something about it that I knew, uh, you know, stood out. Um, and I do, I don't think the word hit was even in my lexicon at the time, but I do remember after getting the, you know, the verse and chorus of, of the song that would end up being it um, showing up to school, whatever it was, you know, junior year of high school, maybe senior year, um, telling John, our guitar player, that I, I felt like I'd, I'd written a song that could get played on the radio. Um, <laughs> and Was that the first yeah. one of your songs that, that sort of did that to you? That, that yeah. flicked that switch in your head? Yeah, it was. I mean, I think the fact that it was like halftime and not, I mean, most of our songs were like uh, a, a good deal faster um, especially at that time, we were, you know, emulating our favorite punk bands and stuff. For the most part, <clears throat> that song, you know, had this like halftime thing. And I don't know, may maybe any song that I would have written that had been halftime at the time, I would have felt like <laughs> could get played on the radio. Right. But it was definitely the song that when I would just like play it on my acoustic guitar in my dining room at my parents' house or whatever, and the windows would be open and like the neighbor would come over and be like, that's what is that like play it again <laughs> you know so it you know it just fucking one of those weird x factor things who knows what what it is but but uh, then at the same yeah, time if, if that's the one uh halftime song that then are the other guys in the band like what the fuck is this like <laughs> like we we write faster songs than that we're we're more of a punk band what is this shit? <laughs> yeah thankfully not <laughs> uh, yeah um i there was a song on record one that john our guitar player pushed back on hard he was like fuck this this song's stupid it sounds like fucking bush i hate it <laughs> and uh yeah he lost he lost that <laughs> that battle right um because the producer liked it and uh yeah um, but it wasn't wasn't the heart in a blender song. <laughs> At what point did was it early on that everybody <laughs> just called it the heart in a blender song? <laughs> my my mom always called it that. Like oh, really? my mom called it that from like the the moment that she heard it for the first time on you know forever. She always called it that. So and I always thought it was funny. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that's maybe the most you know identifiable lyric in the song on a first pass so i i i 
I don't think that's the only time I heard it described that way, but I always found it funny. So when I did start the, uh, you know, doing my posting stuff, I, I referred to it as that and got a kick out of it. <laughs> Are you sort of uh, amazed at how that sort of took off the between, it was probably only been like six months or so now, but the real sort of hardcore shit posting for lack of a better word but uh are you sort of surprised by how almost overnightly that shit kind of blew up i remember sitting at the dining room table uh back in december or whatever it was and we had just sort of finished dinner and i was scrolling through twitter which is uh what i do uh so yeah. to, to be able to do an interview where i could just like scroll through twitter and read luke o'neill columns because i know you guys know each other and he and i know each other a little peripherally uh cool. and then to, to get to call it research is pretty awesome but yeah uh, i i just like pissed my pants laughing so hard at some of like the the early stuff did you realize at the time that it was going to blow up like that or were you just kind of having fun that was amazing no. thank you uh, no, I didn't at all. I mean, I think with some of those early tweets, I, I knew I was kind of on one. <laughs> um, I thought they might do well for a fucking 90s band or, or whatever. A couple of them. I was like, oh, this is a good tweet. Um, but no, I didn't expect them to go viral and all, all, all of that. And when they did, I figured, you know what, I'm just going to keep going. Like, I'm going to have some fun with this. Well, and, and it's become uh, a thing. It's not just uh, 90s band shitposting, although I will, uh, I appreciate every time anybody takes a dig at the Third Eye Blind guy, just because it's been 25 years. Um, but, but then there's also been this sort of like um, progressive uh, voice, which, which is frankly, otherwise, I think, uh, pretty lost, uh, particularly amongst the quote unquote nineties rock community. If, if that's what we're lumping you into uh, mm. very few and far between are the more progressive realist uh, voices. <laughs> so it, when did that sort of become part of it too? A, because I'm glad it did, but B, I can under also assume that it's, um, it might bring with it a little trepidation to dip your toes in those waters. Yeah. Um, well, I think some of it has to do, again, with the fact that most of our contemporaries in the rock world are like um, literal boomers or, or right. old, old Gen Xers. So uh, I think maybe they can be on sort of a different wavelength. Um, I don't know. I think my maybe not I, I didn't necessarily articulate it to myself this way when I started doing the Twitter stuff but it was like um, you know the kind of criteria that I was working with was like is it funny and or true uh, if so you know do a quick you know extrapolating of possible the worst worst faith reads or whatever um, then I then I'd push it out. So, um, kind of doing it as sort of an exercise in in rigorous honesty. That's not to say that I was just only trying to be virtuous or something. Like I think that's why it has an entertainment value at the same time. You know. Right. Um, so, 
yeah um i i i don't know like you mentioned luke o'neill i've i've been uh i've been following him for years on twitter reading his his newsletter welcome to hell world for a long time um you know a lot of the people that i now interact with online are people that i've been following and reading for for a long time and uh so even though it might seem kind of you know psychedelic or something to to the reader for me it's just kind of where where i've where i've been at um for the last for the last few years so i I get that it seems uh you know maybe kind of like a, a a shock or something but i think that again comes from us being lumped into categories that we don't really belong in anyway. Uh, which which uh, sort of leads to two different questions. Um, I'll, I'll start with saying that just like you, I've sort of, I've been a fan of Luke's for as long as I can remember now from his writing uh, and talk about feeling like I tricked somebody into talking to me. Uh, he and I, when I was, before I started this job, I was in between jobs for a couple of weeks for contract reasons. So I met him for lunch or coffee or something like that one day at a place in Harvard Square. And we talked and I interviewed him. It was right around the time that the first book was coming out. And I was like, why is Luke O'Neill? Like, I sort of had this pedestalized thing, which which he would kick my ass for, a view of Luke O'Neill as this sort of progressive um, voice. And so it was, it was amazing to be able to interact with him that way. Um, but speaking of being sort of lumped in to... Uh, a crew that you don't necessarily belong in did <clears throat> how early in the um i would assume the album cycle for the self-titled record did that stuff sort of materialize did you end up playing on like we were talking about the bcn river rave before with some bands maybe that you fit in with and some bands that are like Ugh. and and were you getting asked to go on tours with and i know a little bit of the history of the bigger bands that you've played with, but were you getting asked to go out on tours with some of the, uh, let's call it new metal or butt rock bands that kind of make you go at this point, go. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I know it, it probably seems in, uh, or maybe seemed at the time to people like we fit very squarely into this sort of specific iteration of alternative rock or something. But the truth is like, we, we were always, when, when our first record came out, there was hardly any electric guitar on alternative radio. I think uh, like Third Eye Blind would have been an outlier. Um, trying to think of other examples. But I mean, we were in that sort of weird phase where it was like a lot of that sort of like... Lilith Fair or, or knockoff of that kind of vibe. Um, a, a lot of the whatever wave of techno that was, um, Fat Boy Slim and all that stuff. Oh, right. Um, I kind of forgot about that whole genre. <laughs> yeah, alternative radio wasn't uh, rock centric at all. And then when we put out our second record, which was very much a pop rock record, like Duran Duran influenced, you know, musically and 
uh, and stuff and melodic and there were synths and all of that stuff that was at the height of the new metal thing. So we were always kind of coming at it from, from the outside a little bit and yeah, suffered the con consequences of that, uh, big time. Cause we would end up on bills all the time that were just like, uh, a cosmic joke, you know, for our band, like, especially on record too, we like doing festivals with like Papa Roach, Kid Rock, Limp Biscuit. literally those were yeah, the yeah. lineup. Yeah. And, uh, and it was a total nightmare. And then the song from that record that ended up being a hit <laughs> that people don't usually know is us. It's like people either know our band for uh, the Heart and Blender song or for here's to the night and right. they often don't know that the same band did both songs yeah, i don't right, blame, them, right. blame them for that <laughs> <clears throat> but so here's to the night was the hit off uh the second record after the first two songs basically stiffed um and that only went to pop radio so we went from playing with kid rock and papa roach on festivals to playing with like the baja men uh <laughs> on top 40 shows uh, you know, and whatever, you know, Britney Spears knockoffs and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's that's always been our our story is we've always just been uh, kind of outside of whatever the fucking norm normal sound is. Didn't you did you tour with Bon Jovi or open a few shows for Bon Jovi or something like that? Or was that festivals? But in my brain, there was like a like a Bon Jovi or Sugar Ray Eve six tour or something like that. Yeah, the Sugar Ray part wasn't a tour, but we did do, I mean, we have toured with Sugar Ray, but <clears throat> we we did a month-long, about, I would say, tour with Bon Jovi opening up. It was very funny. Uh, I mean, it was awesome. <clears throat> it was a lot of things, but um, the final night of that tour was at Giant Stadium, and Sugar Ray played it as well. That is uh, an amazing combination of... I, I, I don't even have all of the correct words to use. It's but, too uh, dissonant to even reckon with. Yeah. To open for the Jove uh, at Giant Stadium. Yeah. And and I I know how well, I mean, it's he's 1A to Springsteen at Giant Stadium. Uh, yeah. And maybe at that point in time was probably uh, one to Springsteen's 1B because he yeah. kind of went off there for a while. Um, yeah. he, that may have been like, that's as big as it gets, really. Is that a is that a sort of a whirlwind experience? Do you understand? Like, are you conscious of that as a twenty two or whatever year old kid, twenty four year old kid at the time? How awesome that is, or was it just sort of like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, I think it was both. Yeah. Um, I think a little bit more of what the fuck is this, um, while also realizing that it was it was pretty amazing. I mean. I think we really felt like we didn't belong there. I mean, his fans didn't understand us <clears throat> at all. Um, and, you know, and it was, yeah, it was an absurd billing uh, from where we stood. But it was also, I mean, I when I was a kid, I had uh, New Jersey and uh, Slippery When Wet or whatever. Sure. Uh, cassettes and stuff. So it was, I mean, it was definitely surreal <clears throat> and it was, it was cool hearing those, those songs every night and stuff, but yeah, it was, it was weird. What a mind fuck. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, let's talk a little bit about the the new EP, uh, which, as I said before, Grim Value. It comes out, I think, officially what a month from now, maybe even a month from today. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. How long have these songs been in the works? Is this all since pandemic stuff, or is this stuff that you had kicking around before that had to get punted because the world stopped for a year? Um, John and I wrote and recorded these songs uh, in a fairly short amount of time toward the end of 2019 um, before everything shut down. And we, uh, I guess, sort of long story short is, I mean, the, the band for like the, la the past 10 or 12 years or whatever has been essentially like a live business and uh, creative stuff we've done elsewhere basically totally off the radar um stuff that people haven't really heard <clears throat> Chevy and, Mustang, uh, like i said before yeah Chevy, that is a brilliant project by the way <laughs> thank you thank you i love it <laughs> thank you you're you're like the one person who gets through who likes it <laughs> and truthfully i mean it's one thing to read the the uh the guy from eve six twitter right but if people had been following Chevy Mustang, it's a little bit more in line with like that whole thing. So just that if you were posting that shit as the guy from Chevy Mustang, seven people yeah. would, would like it. Uh, no. Yeah. Chevy Mustang definitely prepared me for this moment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like, said that before. It's definitely, definitely true. Um, Cause the whole thing is essentially like a, 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 a troll. Um, <clears throat> but yeah. So in the band we've been doing to, you know, keep the lights on, go out, play the rock shows. Um, and that's sort of where it's, where it's lived. Um, about three or four years ago now, uh, the original drummer left the band. Um, he's a great guy and stuff, but like, uh, you know, creatively we were like very, very divergent um, for a long time, to be honest. And <clears throat> so um uh, uh we, we had we had talked about you know why don't we get together just you and i and just see what see what happens and got around to doing that uh, john and i got around to doing that in late 2019 and just our um you know we just we knew we wanted to make uh a kind of roots punk record that showed some of our influences that that uh, hadn't been shown before, and to keep it really unrefined and uh, guitar-based drums, no no frills, and and that's what we did, and we did it real quick at John's studio, which is you know his his apartment that he just recently moved out of in downtown LA, and uh, and yeah, got got those five songs together that that are the ep um and then decided to self-produce some videos that video for can we combine is pretty awesome uh Thank shout you. out to the to the juggalos <laughs> yeah <laughs> which i i have not one but i have a, a an affinity and respect for uh, respect yeah it, it can be a thing that i don't understand but i good on them that yeah. uh, that sort of your idea to self-produce videos because i mean not, not that anybody's really producing videos now during COVID, but so is that where that sort of idea came from? Is just that, ah, fuck it, let's do it ourselves. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, at this point, it's 
it's really fun for us to um, kind of lean into the aspects of our band, uh, you, you know, the, the, the online stuff, the sound of the music, the general aesthetic um, that, that confuses some people. And that's fun for us. So I think, uh, <laughs> I think that's really just what, what we were doing with, with that. And uh, yeah, just, um I, I do think we are actually going to appear in the next video for uh the single that comes out next month we have plans to do that but yeah i just you know had, had the idea for actually the board game thing wasn't my idea it was it was the girls in the video that that part was their idea <clears throat> i i i asked them if they'd like to to be in an eve six video and they said yeah sure um how um how about we play board games i was like yeah that's great how about you, you do that with with the juggalo makeup and they were like yeah that's great and uh and i was like yeah just shoot it on an iphone and send it over to us and we'll put the track on top of it so that's what we did that is a riot that is awesome and that is like a like a perfect uh amalgam of the music industry in 2021 really is yeah that- yeah Absolutely. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. It's a great video. It's a great song. Um, I'm excited. Hopefully I'll, I'll link to all of these things in all the descriptions and whatever. So whoever's watching this or listening to it, like just scroll to the bottom and uh, I'll link to as many things as I can. Thank you for doing this. I know we're sort of up against time and I don't want to take up too much of your afternoon. This is, uh, this is really cool. Like I said, I felt like I, when I saw that, yeah, just DM me. Uh, I was like, well, fuck. Okay. <laughs> I feel no, like we, tri- we tricked somebody, but, uh, but I appreciate <laughs> you doing this. I, uh, that's how I feel every day. Yeah, well, no, this was a pleasure. This was imposter a pleasure, really. syndrome is a real thing, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Big time. Big um, time. 